Thank you so much for joining us today. You're listening to Coryton Cast, the official podcast of Coryton Church. Here's your important question of the day. Are you hot, cold, or lukewarm in your heart for God? You're listening to the Revelation series with Dr. Rocky Ramsey, and today we begin an episode on the letter to the lukewarm church in Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 to 22. A college student was asked one day, do you know what the two greatest problems in the world are today? He said, I don't know and I don't care. And the guy said, that's exactly right. <laughs> it's ignorance and apathy. We aren't informed and we don't really care. We're studying the book of Revelation tonight and we come to last of the seven letters to the churches in chapters 2 and 3. The church of Laodicea, it was... Um, was in a wealthy town that exported, uh, exported ISAV and especially, uh, and then clothing, cloth, especially black wool throughout the known world. The, this letter to Laodicea is probably the most well-known of the seven because one, it talks about being lukewarm, which most people have heard messages on, and two, it has the verse, I stand at the door and knock, if anyone opens the door, I will come in. So it's the most uh, uh, recognizable, probably, of those seven churches and letters. Turn, you, turn there to Revelation chapter 3. We're going to read verses 14 to 22. We're going to talk about the danger of indifference tonight. Indifference being lukewarmness. Verse 14, chapter 3. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, The Amen... The faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God, says this. I know your deeds, that you're neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you're lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing, and you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. They had quite a different opinion of themselves than Jesus had of them. I advise you to buy from me my gold refined by fire so that you may become rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and that the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed and I salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. So in verse 18, he's talking symbolically about things and he's playing off of what goes on there in uh, Laodicea. He talks about uh, they were rich, so he's talking about you need my gold. Yours is isn't going to be worth much. And they need white garments. Uh, wash, you know, our, though our sin were as, were as scarlet, they'll be as white as snow. And then he talks about this, uh, they needed his eyesalve, his ability to see uh, because they were blind. Verse 19, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, therefore be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will dine with him and he with me. He who overcomes, I'll grant to him to sit down with me on my throne as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has near to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So let's talk about this problem of lukewarmness. I'm calling it the danger of indifference. In these uh, letters, these seven churches, we've seen these commonalities. I've got them in your outline there. Each of them contain, number one, a command to write, chapter 3, verse 14. A description of Jesus, also in verse 14. 
as with the church of Philadelphia, the description of Jesus is not in the vision in chapter 1. In Revelation 19.11, Jesus is called faithful and true when he comes back on the white horse. And in chapter 21, verse 6, he's, he's, Jesus is called the beginning and the end. Verse 14, if you look there, doesn't mean that he was the first thing created. It means that he was the origin and source of creation. John 1.3 tells us that everything was created through him. And then number three, you have statements about the condition of the church. Three, uh, chapter 3, verse 15 to 18. Again, they thought they were rich. He thought they were poor. Uh, you know, they thought they saw. He thought they were blind. In number, number four, there were instructions on what they needed to do. We'll talk about that. Number five, a promise for overcomers. They would sit, get to sit on Jesus with his on, on his throne. Now, just think about that. You talk about a picture opportunity. <laughs> talk about a great time for a selfie. I mean, they're going to be sitting on the throne with Jesus. And then number six is encouragement to hear. Verse 22, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. So let me give you some opening thoughts. Number one, each of us has one of three types of hearts toward God. Each of us has one of three types of hearts. First of all, there are hot hearts. People with hot hearts love God most and put him first. They want to know him better. They want to please him more. Seeking God's face and obedience warms the heart. The more I do that, the hotter my heart for God becomes. The great commandment, of course, in Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven, 37, there in your outline, you shall love the Lord God with all your heart. The psalmist describes a hot heart in Psalm 73, 25, where he says, Whom have I in heaven but you? And besides you, I desire nothing on earth. What he's saying is, there's, there's no one compares to you. He's got this red-hot heart for God. Number two, there are cold hearts. Cold hearts. Cold-hearted people don't think that much about God. They don't care much for spiritual things. Sin cools the heart. Obedience warms it. Sin cools it. Life happens in, with momentum. Uh, you know, I lost some weight and uh, actually kind of got back a little bit on my old eating habits uh, or my diet habits just yesterday, some. And it, the more you do what you set out to do, the easier it is to do it and the more you do it. And the less you do it, the less you do it. Exercise. It's, if you, the more you start to exercise, the more you'll exercise, the easier it'll get. The less you do, the harder it is to ever get going. It, we, life goes in momentum. Uh, we're going to say something about marriage later. Marriages have momentum. They're either gaining ground or they're losing ground. And so when we obey God, it builds momentum in our heart for him. And when we disobey him, it cools our heart. And uh, it says in, in the epistles that it sears our conscience. So we, first time we do something wrong, we feel real bad. Second time, we feel bad, but not as bad as first time. Third time, we feel a little bit bad, but not as bad as second time. And then eventually, we don't feel bad at all about what we're doing. The more you sin, the more you'll sear your conscience, and the less you'll care about, spirit, about God or spiritual things. Spiritual reprobates have ice-cold hearts. In Matthew 24, 12, it says, because, of lawless, because lawlessness is increased, most people's love will grow cold. So they grow cold because of their disobedience. 
And then number three, there's lukewarm hearts, which is the problem here in Laodicea. In chapter 3, verse 16, God tells them they're not hot, they're not cold, they're lukewarm. A lukewarm or indifferent person acknowledges God, but he just doesn't get very excited about it. He's not excited about his will, he's not excited about his ways. We'll talk more about that as we go on. The second opening thought is this. Though we walk with God among others, we all walk with God alone. Though we walk with God among others, like we're doing here tonight, we all walk with God alone. Now notice Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. And there's that famous verse that we've all heard. But it's a letter to the church. So what God is saying is to the church... He's knocking at the door. He's outside of it, wanting in. But then notice that he says, if anyone opens the door, anyone, a person, individual, I will come into him, person, individual, and I will dine with him, person, individual, and he will dine with me, person, individual. Did you get that? The invitation is to the church the people among whom we walk with our walk with God. But the answer to the invitation is all individual. If anyone opens a door, I will come into him and I will dine with him and he with me. Important sidebar. Jesus asks us to do something for him before he does something for us. Now, he's done things for us. He, uh, he sent his son to die for our sins. Whenever we move toward God, the Holy Spirit has drawn us. You know, the Bible says there's none who seek after God. Jesus said that the, nobody comes to the son unless the father draws him. So God's done those things. But then what Jesus does, he comes to us and says, if you'll do something for me, I'll do something for you. And that's how it works. And I'm going to show it to you here. So in this verse, he says, if we will open the door, then he will come in. But he will not come in unless we first open the door. Do you see that? If we don't, he won't. We get him by giving ourselves to him. So how do you get God? You give yourself to God, and then he gives himself to you. We get his life, spiritual life, eternal life, by first giving him our life. So how do you get God's life? Well, first of all, you got to give him your life. Notice in this verse that he dines with us first. He gets what we have. And then we dine with him. We get what he has. You see it? So see, in every one of those cases, God says, if you'll come to me, I'll save you. If you'll do this, I'll do that. If you'll let me dine with you, you'll give me what you have, then I'll let you dine with me. Now you have access to what I have. So we believe, trust, and obey, and then God acts and provides. Now, in your outline, I've listed Matthew 7, 13 to 14, I believe. Jesus tells us there that the way to life begins with a small, narrow gate, and then it continues on a narrow way. We may come to Christ when others do, but we all come to Christ by ourselves. See, this is part of the problem with, with the revivals and Bible schools and youth camps, etc. All these kids in mass, well, if you want to get saved, I'll get saved. Well, I'll get saved, you'll get saved, and they all, quote, get saved. You can't do that. 
You can only be saved if you decide you're going to come to Christ and you're going to do it if nobody else does it. This isn't a gang event. This is an individual thing that's so narrow, you get in it one at a time. Now, others may go in the same time and place you did, but everybody goes in one at a time. We may come to Christ when others do, but we come to Christ by ourselves, whether others do or don't. It's a small, narrow gate. We may walk with Christ as others do, but we walk with, with uh, Christ by ourselves, whether they do or don't. We're on a narrow way. Even with your spouse and kids, you're not going two by two. Each of you is on your own narrow way. When you walk with, with Christ, with someone, both of you are on that own narrow way. Now, each of us must come to our own personal relationship with God that we have with him no matter what, no matter what anyone else does. If your relationship with God is real, then what others do is frankly irrelevant. I have decided to follow Jesus. Though none go with me, still I will follow. That's real salvation. It's not a group event. You know, in, the, in Scripture, there were families who came to Christ, but every, every one of those people had to come to Christ individually. Now, let's talk about understanding lukewarmness or indifference. I'm using those two words interchangeably. Number one, and I'm going to use the word indifference now. Indifference deceives us. It deceives us. Notice in Revelation 3.17 how the people in this church see themselves and how different it is from the opinion Jesus has of them. They say, we're rich, we're wealthy, we're in need of nothing. Jesus says, you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Wow. His opinion of them is way different from theirs, isn't it? Notice the reference to their material wealth and clothing in verses 17 and 18. Remember again, this town was famous for its fashion industry. Jesus claims they were naked. Remember the town was famous for this ISAB. Jesus claims they were blind. Lukewarm and different people don't think that they're lukewarm or indifferent. It deceives us. They deceive themselves into thinking they're really just fine. Look at Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? The words desperately sick are the same words used. If you remember when David had the affair with Bathsheba, she got pregnant. That child was born and died. Remember that? And then the second child she had by him was Solomon. But the first child died. And when that child died, it was sick. And it's the same word translated here. What this means is our hearts are terminally ill. They're deceitful. People are easily deceived, and, and we're all especially vulnerable to deceiving ourselves. In Matthew 7, 21, 23, Jesus himself says there are people in the church doing things for the Lord, thinking they're going to heaven. Indeed, they are not. They are not. It's super easy to think that we're, that we're spiritually more than we really are. All kinds of people do it. In fact, people close to God are probably more than they think they are. People far from God are less than they think they are. They think they're more than they are. Proverbs 21.2 says that every man's way is right in his own eyes. 
Proverbs 30, 12 says, There's a kind of man, there's a kind who is pure in his own eyes, yet is not washed from his filthiness. He thinks he's fine, but he's not. And then in the Proverbs 30, verse 20, it talks about a deceived, adulterous woman. She eats and wipes her mouth and says, I have done no wrong. And she really doesn't think she has. She's deceived. Indifference deceives us. We think we're fine, but we're not. This church would have, was probably shocked when they got Jesus' report on who they were. He had an entirely different opinion. And of course, ultimately, only his matters. So indifference deceives us. Number two, indifference results in independence. Indifference results in independence. It's partly caused by independence. Revelation 3.17 says these people in this church saw themselves as having need of nothing. I mean, that's independence. One of the dangers of financial prosperity is that it drowns out our need for God. That's why it's difficulty, difficult for people who are wealthy to come to Christ. Remember, Jesus kind of cut a joke. He would do that. He would use a joke or uh, exaggeration to make a point when he said, it's easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than for a rich man to get into heaven. When he did that, the Jews all would have cracked up. That was a great one. He was using exaggeration to make a point, which was funny to them. He wasn't saying it's impossible. He was exaggerating the difficulty of it. Why? Because if you got money, you can pretty much get what you want, can't you? You don't have that big a need. If you don't have anything, you got a lot of need. Now, we typically think of independence as a good thing, but God doesn't want us to be independent. He wants us to be Him dependent. Dependent upon Him. Now, why is that? Because number one in your outline, independence makes us proud. It makes us proud. Independent people tend to think, look at who I am and what I've done. It leads to pride. God hates pride. He's opposed to the proud. Pride goes before the fall, before destruction. Number two, him dependence, H-I-M, not H-Y-M-N, makes us humble. Him dependent people tend to think, look at who God is and what he's done. It leads to humility. James 4, 6 says, God's opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So we're to be him-dependent. That's why we pray, Lord, give us this day our daily bread, not Lord, give me enough bread that I don't have to ever bother you again about dough, meaning money. See, God really wants us to be in a position where we're always having to trust him. And we do everything in our power to make sure we don't ever get in that position. We want to have enough money in the bank that we don't have to ever worry about money. Trust God for any money or any, him to come through for us etc., etc. God's always trying to back us into a corner, and we're always trying to stay out of that corner. But the corner's where the miracles are. So God takes children of Israel, leads them out of, out of they're coming out of Egypt, you remember? They come to the, the Red Sea. There's mountains on both sides, the Red Sea in front of them, the Egyptian army behind them, and they're mad. So there's no way out but up, and the rapture's not taking place. What are they going to do? They're going to have to trust God. And they did, and they got a miracle, didn't they? And the Red Sea split, and they went across on dry ground. So God likes to get us into corners where we have to trust Him. You know, married couples talking, they're going to say, Honey, we're really going to have to pray about this one and trust the Lord. She says, Has it come to that? 
Why? Because we want to do everything in our power to never get in that position. Am I in the right room? It's just human nature. Now, the third thing is this. Indifference disgusts God. It disgusts him. Seeking to be nice and not gross, our translations do a poor job in Revelation 3.16. The New American Standard and the King James both say that God will spew lukewarm people out of his mouth or spit them out. Literally, the Greek word is vomit. And so if you have uh, side uh, notes, there should be a little number in front of that word and you go over to the side notes there and see the number and it'll tell you what it means is they make God throw up. It means vomit. Indifference is sickening to God. Now, why is that true? I'm glad you asked. I'm going to tell you. Indifference says, I believe in God, but he just doesn't excite me. Indifference thinks God's okay, but he's not that great. Indifference treats the one who is everything as if he's really not that much. Indifference fails to appreciate the beauty and creativity of God as seen in creation. Indifference fails to appreciate the truth God has given in his word. Indifference fails to appreciate the goodness of God demonstrated in every blessing we receive. James 1.17 says, Every good and perfect gift in your life has come down from the Father. Indifference fails to appreciate the provision of God demonstrated in every possession, possession that we have. Deuteronomy 8.18 says, It's the Lord who's given you the power to make wealth. Indifference fails to appreciate the love of God demonstrated at the cross. Indifference fails to appreciate God, what he has done, and what he has done for us. That's why it's disgusting. God would just assume you not believe in him. They say you believe in him, but not be very excited about it. If you think about it, indifferent, lukewarm people are God's worst advertisement. They can communicate that God is just not that important. You really don't need to bother with him. Now, why was Paul red hot? Why did he have a red hot heart? And why was he completely sold out to Jesus? Anybody think they know? Just raise your hand. I'm going to ask you to tell you, but if you think you know, raise your hand. He, he had a model for what a Christian was. You remember, he was going around arresting and having Christians put to death. And the one we know about was a guy named Stephen. And he, he was the one, when, when Stephen is stoned to death, and he sees Jesus, has his vision, sees Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. Jesus is normally sitting, but he's standing. It says, the men who threw the stones laid down their coats at the feet of a man named Saul. That was Paul. So when Paul thought about a Christian, he thought about Stephen. He thought about a guy who was red hot for God. Paul kind of didn't know any better. That's what a Christian's supposed to be and do. I've told you this before. Rome put to death in the first three centuries of the church, put to death over 100,000 Christians. And the more they killed, the more people came to Christ. It doesn't make sense, does it? But it does. I mean, it's one thing if you see these little weakling people who change their testimonies because it might cost them something. It's a whole other thing when you're seeing people say, if you want to send me out to fight a lion, I'll go fight a lion, but I'm not denying Jesus. He's my Lord. 
What kind of impact does that have on you? If you don't deny Christ, this guillotine's gonna take your head off and they stick it in there. What do you do with that? It's believed for the most part, Augustine in the, in the 300 plus uh, uh, AD there, that the reason that he legalized Christianity was because he couldn't beat it. It wasn't that he necessarily believed in it originally, but he just couldn't beat them. And the more they killed, the worse it got. Now, here in America, I'm going to do a message Sunday to kind of help us, call it what now, to kind of help us move through what we're going through in our country. But let me say this. If, our, if, if all the leadership in our country turned over and our country turned against the church, it'd be the best thing that ever happened to it. Because you'd find out who the real deal, deals were and you'd find out who all the fakes were pretty quick, wouldn't you? And you know what we'd have to do? We'd have to trust God. And we'd have to love him in spite of our circumstances, not because they're so favorable to how we believe at the moment. Right? All of a sudden, we're, we're, we're first century Christians. They never had a favorable environment. They were, they were hiding so they wouldn't be killed. When somebody says, I die for Jesus, that's a powerful testimony. <laughs> a lukewarm, indifferent person who claims to be a Christian makes people spiritually yawn. Yeah, I'm a Christian. Well, indifference disgusts God. Number four, indifference inverts priorities, turns them upside down. It inverts priorities. So in verse 17 and 18, we see the people in Laodicea had their priorities upside down. We probably become lukewarm and different by messing up our priorities, but be, being lukewarm and different definitely turns them upside down. So it's kind of the reason for and the result of indifference or lukewarmness. Now, in your outline here, indifferent people with inver inverted priorities end up, number one, loving self more than God. This is, I'm describing this lukewarm person. <clears throat> he loves himself more than God. They begin to believe in a me-centered gospel. I don't exist for God. God exists for me. I, I don't exist to please him. He exists to please me and make me happy. So they end up serving self rather than denying self. Matthew 16, 24, Jesus said, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself. 2 Corinthians 5, 15 tells us that he died for us so that we would know that we would live for him and no longer for ourselves. Join us next time for the rest of this message as Pastor Rocky continues to speak about how indifference inverts priorities and even more about the danger of indifference in the Revelation series. Again, thank you so much for joining us today. You're listening to Corrington Cast, the official podcast of Corrington Church. If you have any questions at all, visit us online at CorringtonChurch.com or drop us a message or comment on social media. We're at Corrington Church. We hope you've enjoyed this episode and we pray God's richest blessings on your life. Give us a rating, hit subscribe, and have a fantastic day.